Welcome to the Mixtape with Scott, a podcast devoted to listening to and relaying the personal stories of economists, scientists, and authors. I'm your host, Scott Cunningham. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing an econometrician named Hide Ichimura, a professor of economics at the University of Arizona. Some of the applied economists on the line, and probably all of the econometricians on the line, will know of Dr. Ichimura's work because, for lots of reasons. The applied people, because of lots of reasons, but one is that uh, some of his work is been uh, experiencing a revival uh, among applied people within the new difference and differences literature. Um, so I wanted to sit down with them as part of my broader love of hearing the stories of econometricians, particularly those who were working in the 80s, 90s and on, on topics in causal inference. We had just a riveting fun time on this interview, or I did anyway. I don't want to spoil it, but from the moment I hit record, I just thoroughly got engrossed in listening to Dr. Ichimura's story. I learned so much of his, uh, I learned a, a tiny bit of his personal story, but what I did learn, I really enjoyed about the games he played with his family on vacations as a kid to learning that his dad um, had also been an economist to some of the things that were hard and beautiful about his life as an economist, things that, to be honest, I think many of us can identify with. This is why I do these podcasts, to be honest, to hear these stories. Uh, to be sort of an oral history of the economics profession and simultaneously just getting to hear and listen to the stories of real people. Um, I think that when you listen to people's stories intently with curiosity, you validate those people just by listening, being there without any judgment. But you also, to for a moment, feel a connection to them, feel a connection with a living person, and you get to travel in time through their life, all of which I find to be borderline magical and mystical. Reminds me of, you knew I was going to say this, a line from Sue Johnson's wonderful book, Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. We use stories to make sense for our lives, and we use stories as models to guide us in the future. We shape stories, and then stories shape us. So I ask you here to sit back and listen to Dr. Chimura's story. Thank you for turning, tuning in, and I'm your host, Scott Cunningham. Well, it is my pleasure to have on this week's episode of the Mixtape with Scott um, Hyde Ikemura. Uh, Hi. Hyde, do I, is, do I, am I pronouncing it right? Is it Hyde? Hide, 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 Hide Ichimura. Hide Ichimura. Yeah, Hide Ichimura. Yeah. Uh, Hide, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you, for the sake of the listener, would you tell us again your name, uh, your job title, and uh, you know who your employer is? Okay, uh, my name is Hide Ichimura, and I'm at University of Arizona uh, uh, Economics Department, and I'm also have a joint appointment at University of Tokyo uh, Department of Economics. Oh, okay, okay, great. Well, I, can, I look forward to hearing more about having two jobs or having two bosses. Um, before uh, we get started, I wanted to do what's called an icebreaker. Um, what's, a, what's a childhood vacation that you think of from time to time, even today? Not necessarily your favorite vacation, but it could be. But what's one that's sort of burned in your memory for whatever reason that, you know, even today you still think about it occasionally? Well, um we we had a cottage in um, uh, Nagano area. Uh, we lived in Osaka, um, and Osaka to Nagano is is like oh, 
300 miles um, distance. And, and um, we used to travel from every summer, we would uh, go, go there. My father would drive um, and uh, the car wasn't uh, air conditioned. So windows all open and then yeah. uh, uh, I have an older sister and younger brother. And we would be singing, in, you know, in the back of the seat, and then uh, <laughs> travel at three hundred miles. Uh, uh, so that's uh, that's the memory I have about the uh, vacation. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, that's similar. That's uh, I have those um, road trip memories. Uh-huh. Too. The the the, yeah. the being in the road with the family on the vacation. I actually uh-huh. have not been. We don't do that as much now but uh-huh. i i love i loved that as a kid uh-huh. i loved it uh playing games in the car and stuff uh-huh. like that <laughs> right. did y'all have any game did y'all have any games in the car that you would play oh yeah so you know we we would um play different games but the the one that we often played was just in awards so japanese ward uh have like you know alphabet but sounds, you know, so if, if, if you say um, like bridge, right, and then it ends with E, so you have to start a di- different word with uh, uh, E, and then you, you take turn. And then Japanese, there, there isn't a word that starts with N sounds, uh. sound, but, but there are a lot of words that would end with N sound. Uh-huh. And so, so if you if you if you happen to use the word that ends with n sound, you're lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the game. <laughs> so that's the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. We had games like that too, but we they were word games, and you had to uh-huh. find you had to find uh, signs that started with that letter of the alphabet. Uh-huh. So you went through all of them. I didn't know. That's funny that in Japan you have a another alphabet word or you have another word game that y'all would play on the car (laughs) so where did so where did you grow up did you say i I grew up in osaka so it's like osaka Osaka is you know it's it's like uh uh georgia or some somewhere like that south in the u.s oh the the there's a very heavy accent uh in in osaka area that everybody would recognize because a lot of comedians uh, use that. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and, and is it so, rural? Uh, is it a rural area? I, it, it, no, well, it's a second, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a commercial town. So it's a big, big town. Osaka um, is an old area. The Kyoto is the oldest area in, in Japan, old capital. And Osaka is the commercial part of that older um, region so um but uh uh so 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 i i i think you can imagine uh, people from like south in the u.s so that's where (laughs) that's that's uh that's what people say about my my accent they they, oh is that right you can tell you can tell i'm from the south um okay (laughs) what did your what did your mom and dad do for a living when you were younger well my mother was a housewife, and um, my father is a professor in economics. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And what, what university was, was he at? Osaka? He was at Osaka University, and then he moved to Kyoto University. Oh. And, 
Were y'all ever there at the same universities at the same time? No, I was no. at Osaka University, but uh, not, yeah. Not at the same time? No, right. Okay. Uh, what was his area of study? A development economist. Oh, economist. he was a development Southeast, economist. Southeast Asian country. Indonesia was his main country. Oh, tell me his full name. Shinichi Ichimura. Oh, wow. Where, where did he get his PhD? MIT. Get out of here. That's, some, that's so <laughs> interesting. Wow. Who did he study with? Uh, his uh, Samuelson was his advisor. No way. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now he was writing um, like theory paper uh, when he got a PhD degree, but um, he switched to development econ economics. So that's how. So you grew up. I have a question mm -hmm. about when did you first start getting interested uh -huh. in economics? Was uh -huh. were you interested just in economics because of your dad? Uh, well, actually, um, you know, it's to me, I think it's 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 like guided by my mother in, in some sense. You know, she she raised me in a way that that I think in retrospect, um, I wasn't thinking that way when I was young. But, um, you know, I was more like I knew that I wanted to become a scholar. And I think that. Uh -huh that's um that's my mother's influence in some ways and then really? so, so the issue was what which well i wanted to be a, a medical doctor uh, growing up uh, mm -hmm. but i i i would vomit at the, the sight of of blood or anything yeah. like that and, yeah. and so so i knew i wouldn't be a good doctor uh, right. because i knew you know i was told that you have to do like um you know, operate on on the dead body to become a, a medical doctor and right. so on, and and so I I gave up on that idea, and uh -huh. and so so the the rest the only option that I could think of was to become a scholar, and the issue mm. was what which field I would be doing it, and and um, in junior high and high schools I was interested in mathematics, but then I read and and physics, but then. I read that that um, height height of of that um, you know scholarship is is in the early twenties and and uh, and and by thirties it's not really you you wouldn't be doing first grade work. Oh right, the age. And I yeah, thought right. I thought that would not be such an interesting uh, 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 area to be in if, yeah. if your height becomes that so so early then. Right. And so, and, but then I knew that economics used lots of math and, and, um, and economics that didn't have that uh, reputation. So I thought that that would be a good area to work in. And, and that's, so in high school, second year, I, I switched from science. In, in Japan, you have to kind of select the, the direction at the second year. Uh -huh. and, and that's when I decided to, go to economics in, 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 high, school. in high school but you said yeah. it was your mom your mom had the more influence than your dad i would have thought you would have said well, dad since he was the economist well i mean certainly that that had an influence but i think that my mother uh steered me to to become a scholar you know really? rather than uh, yeah i think i mean that's 
that's how I think about it. And now was like she? That. Did she have some? What? It, what was? What was? What was she like? Uh, what? What do you mean by that? I mean, well, what? What was your mom like? Where she would have, um, you know, saw that that's what she that you that you would have been good at that. What was? What was it about her that that saw that? Um, you know, my mother um, grew up in a, a family where my my grandfather was uh, 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 in military, and um, and uh, he, he he died when my mother was twelve. So mm. my mother was uh, raised by uh, my grandmother. Uh, Mm. from 12 you know and um uh and uh and 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 she was she's very independent um uh woman um uh so she married very early you know um, mm. she had two younger brothers and um she married 21 when um she was in college mm. And so, um, was she sort of a know. scholarly type of person? Had she? Well, she liked. She liked. Um, uh, you know, she she's she's not really scholarly type, but she more she's more like artistic type. Artistic. Um, yeah. So she she's she's like so she she has like calligraphy is her hobby. Mm. And and she was selected to like national um, kind of um, there's a there's an uh, you know if you are very good at it your your work would be in the national museum for a certain period and my mother's work was in the national oh, museum wow. for, yeah so selected wow. like seven times or something so so she she's very serious calligrapher. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So she's like, you know, a serious artist. Right. And uh and and I and I guess what you're saying is when you decided you didn't want to be a doctor, something <laughs> about it was that, you know, she she could imagine you being uh in the artistic version of like the scholar is kind of the artist of science in a way. Yeah, yeah I mean she yeah, she yeah, I liked um, drawing and so on to myself, but I, I think, um, yeah, so, so relatively speaking, I think I was better at uh, scholarly things than oh. artistic things, I guess. So, so you end up going after high school, you start, you focus, you have the ability to focus on economics in mm -hmm. high school. Right. Right. I mean, I, in Japan, there's not much economics teaching in, at the high school level, but mm -hmm. um, but from you know college. So when when I was trying to select the university, my father told me that um, Osaka University has a better department than Kyoto University. Oh. And uh, in terms of economics, at the time, Kyoto University's uh, economics department was mostly Marxist. Mm. And so he, he didn't, I mean, he was at the, not the economics department, but he was uh, uh, directing um, Southeast Asian Center at the time, mm. now a research institute. But so so um, 
he wasn't at the economics department at Kyoto. Because it was it was started, predominantly Marxist economists. Right. 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 And right. now now um, it's changing, and um, they're they're a serious modern economist at the mm -hmm. department of economics mm -hmm. too, but. Um, um, so you went to Osaka. So you end up going. I to went Osaka. to Osaka and worked. It, was right. he? Did you say he was a professor at Osaka at the same time yes. you were there? Yeah. Well, no, no, he no. was. He was. He already moved to Kyoto University by that. Time. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. What year was that? Would that have been in like the early nineteen eighties? No. Uh, yes, that's right. Se late seventies to early eighties is when I was a student. And and did they have uh, econometrics courses for the undergrads at that time? Yes, actually, uh, Professor Hatanaka uh, moved from the Research Institute at Osaka University to economics department. And so I was very fortunate to uh, have him as the uh, undergraduate teacher. Well, actually, actually, take it back. I, it was uh, Professor Inoki, uh, who's a labor economist, who taught me undergraduate econometrics. Really? Uh, using Wanakut and Wanakut. Uh, as as the textbook, do you know? Is no, I don't that know that textbook. Okay, all right. So it's a it's a standard uh, econometrics uh, textbook at the time. It's like ah. stopping Watson type, you know, uh, textbook. And um, and he 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 taught me undergraduate uh, econometrics. I I liked it a lot actually. Um, yeah. Then at the graduate level, you know, in the first year graduate. Uh, 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 Professor Hatanaka uh, moved from the research institute to uh, economics department, and and I learned tile from Professor Hatanaka. You learned what from from him? Henry Tile's textbook. Econometrics. Oh, okay. Do you know that textbook? I don't know that textbook oh, either. Okay, okay. I'm loving I'm loving this this this, uh, this uh, journey uh, through the textbooks. That, that was the uh, econometrics textbook in the early '80s. Oh. Yeah, so so that's what was amazing. different about the textbooks back then. What was different? Because uh, like, and I always would hear about fixed regressors. That's true. Um, yes, I mean, and and but, hmm, I mean, not much nonlinear stuff. You know, mainly uh, linear stuff. But um, a lot of interesting ideas, I think, um, mm. in in the in Tiles uh, textbook. Hmm. Um, yeah, so I think the generations of people have um, studied that textbook. Um, but, uh, and but so that maybe, was, maybe that was toward the end of that generation. I don't know. You were at the end of it, so that was like, <laughs> right. But, but that was an undergraduate textbook, or you said no? This was a graduate graduate that first year. At, so at MIT, MIT also MIT also used that as a as the textbook oh. along with some other textbooks. So so that was the standard. Okay. And, um, Wait, so when does Amimia, when is his textbook? Yeah, so that was like mid 80s, mid -80s. Like 85 or 86. I know that's so that, so that Amimia's textbook took over Tile's um, textbook, I think. Oh. And okay. then, and then uh, Woodridge and Hayashi and, and his textbook came in. Yeah, right, right. And so you go to MIT. You mm -hmm. must have been so excited to get into such a legendary uh institution what did it feel like stepping into well, that I mean, school yeah so i wasn't intending to go abroad actually i was um i was uh studying at osaka university and but but some 
person who was um, in, the, in my parents' house neighbor was on the committee for Rotary Foundation scholarship. And he recommended me that I apply and to that um, scholarship. And so I did and, and I got it, got the scholarship, but then Rotary Foundation scholarship um, restricts the, the school you go to in some ways. And um, they, they recommended me to go to New Zealand's uh, university. And so I applied and I got accepted, but I, I didn't. So given that I was gonna apply to different universities, I uh, wanted to apply to different universities at the time, at the same time. And, and so um, I applied to different universities. I got into MIT and so I wanted to go there, but then they won't let me uh, because I guess it was too expensive or something, I don't know. But so I wrote to MIT that, that I have this scholarship, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, let me uh, use their scholarship at, at MIT. Why? And I don't know. And, and uh, I think it's like, you know, they, I think it's more for promoting um, friendship across different Rotary Foundation groups or something. And huh. I, I have no clear idea about the reasoning why. And so, but then MIT gave me some pars partial scholarship. Mm. And so that's, um, and my parents uh, funded my living cost for, for the first two years. So, so I, could, I could attend. MIT. I bet your so dad, I bet your dad was really proud of you. Was he? I don't want to put words. I mean, I, I just would be, if my son or daughters were to go uh, become an, a professional economist, I, I would just, I would have a lot of really interesting feelings. Uh -huh. was, yeah, was that, was he that didn't, interesting? He didn't, he didn't express anything. Uh, he didn't? Directly, but, uh, but, but I can imagine that he might have, yeah. Yeah. But, so, so uh, you, and I, I wasn't really thinking about that, but. I think you're right there. Yeah. Well, so you get there. Uh, what was that first year like? Was it really hard the way that, like, you know, University of Arizona's first year coursework's hard for the students? Is it, or was it different? I, yes. I mean, um, you know, I, I did one year of, of grasp study at Osaka University. Ah. And so, so I had, in the first year, it wasn't that difficult um, mm. because, um, but my English was very poor, um, and and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to kind of. I think I wasn't absorbing as much as I should have or could have uh, if my if my um, English was better, and so I was working off my kind of savings in, in some ways, intellectual savings uh, <laughs> <laughs> up to that point and I was uh, uh, using up that. Uh, and, but, but, but I met very um, good set of, you know, classmates and. Um, uh, who were some so of the classmates? Who, who were some of your classmates that you were close to? So um, David Wilcox uh, is lived in the same dormitory that I um, lived in, and uh, he he went on to 
to be a research director at Fed Reserve Board, um, and uh, and and I still uh, get in contact with him. But they're they're like uh, Roland Bunabu uh, is is another classmate. Um, uh, Rob Vishni, I mean Rob uh, Rob um, Gertner uh, at Chicago was classmate. David Sharfstein. Mm. And Greg Mankiw is supposedly my classmate, but I've never saw him. Because you never saw him? <laughs> because because uh, I think because he took all the courses, you know, by the time and when he was an undergraduate. And so oh, by he, the time oh, is that right? Rest, you know, he didn't have to take a lot of courses. Oh, he was basically, oh, that's funny. Yeah, um, and, yeah there are a lot of uh, classmates that are, are very active um, still. And, uh, well, it's it's like MIT has this reputation that I've heard, and I was curious if this is true. I had heard uh, when Paul Samuelson was, I think I heard he was offered a job uh, maybe at Harvard or Chicago or something when he graduated, and instead he took the job at MIT and like really built up the PhD program at MIT, but he also kind of imparted a philosophy of mentoring the PhD students and that it's a, dis it's kind of a distinctively different kind of PhD program amongst the elite for it's how much, I, I, how much I'd heard that they invest in their students in a way that's kind of unique. And so I was just kind of curious, how did MIT, you know, what, what do you think was different about MIT when you were there than say like, other universities at the same time, like that you that you could tell or that you've learned over time, MIT's philosophy about its students was or was not exactly the same or different. That's a hard question because I, you know, I mean that's that's the only kind of grad student that I grad yeah. school that I attended as a student. So um, in the U.S., so it's. That's that's a very hard question, but I, 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 the thing that I remember is very vividly is the is the first time I um, came across, you know, Bob Solo uh, mm. on the corridor um, after passing the prelim. I mean, he he addressed me as Hide, and and he knew who I was, and and uh, uh, but you know he he would. I, I think faculty members uh, took some effort in remembering every student's names. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time, one, one year, we had 30 students, you know, so it's a big program. Yeah. You know, so if you just think about 60, so I, as a, as a professor, I don't remember. Right. If, if, everybody's name you know and uh that's i thought at the time uh you know uh, bob really uh seriously you know uh, spent time <laughs> memorized, i remember so. your name yeah so i, I bet that was I, you know, I, yeah, I thought that was very impressive uh, yeah as a yeah. yeah yeah that that was uh well so um uh there's this line from Charles mm -hmm. Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. It's the opening yeah. line. It says, 
It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. So I'm curious, um, what would you say was the best of times? And what would you say was the worst of times for you as a PhD student at MIT at that time in your life? Well, best of the time is when I came up with um, you know, new ideas. I thought I, that's when I, I, I vividly remember a few different moments where I um, came across some ideas that I thought that was kind of new, you know, in some sense. Like what? Um, well, I mean, the, the, the first case was, uh, there, there are two cases. One, one, the first one was when I came up with some ideas how to solve the uh, nonlinear measurement error, you know, polynomial measurement error. Um, problem that, that Whitney gave the seminar that um, explained why, why um, you know, instrumental variable method doesn't really work in the polynomial uh, case because mm. measurement there gets contaminated, you know, cross storm appears. And, and so there are many moments, unknown moments that um, uh, shows up and, and that, um, but but then uh, when I was thinking about you know whether it wasn't possible or not, then I came up with some ways to use uh, instrument in a different way oh. and resolve that problem. So, what did he think so when that, you showed him that? Well, I mean, I think he was very uh, happy, and, and uh, I mean, you know, that I mean, he was tackling that problem too. So I think, yeah. Uh, so that became a joint work with along with. Um, Jim Powell, who's also working on that problem, and then uh, uh, Jerry Hausman, I think, who po first posed that problem. And um, oh, that must so, have so been. We had a we had a paper together. And is that your that 1991 was... Journal of Econometrics paper with Hausman and Right, Newport? right, oh. right. So that's and um, the second one was um, when I was trying to understand Tom Tom Stoker's paper on average derivative. And you know, I didn't understand um, why his he could estimate that kind of slope coefficient really without you know specifying the error distribution. And and I was trying to understand exactly what's going on with his paper and and uh, drawing some picture uh, and and then <laughs> clicked in my mind why why it might work, but then it turned out that his idea is very different from how I, I was looking at it. And so I realized that there is some you know, different approach that I could take that he didn't take. At oh, so your, your misunderstanding sort of led yeah, to your discovery. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. So, oh, that's so interesting. I was, so I was uh, yeah, thinking along uh, the line that they're different from how Tom tackled the problem. So, so that was... Um, Oh, I bet that, that was, was. I bet that felt good. <laughs> yeah. So that was. So, so I, those were high points. I think the low points, I guess, is is the when I failed like macroeconomics uh, course, and uh, 
um, I felt I I felt so I I felt really you know that was the second year I guess the first first half of the second year you know I wasn't sure whether I can make it right at the time I mean and um, mm. you know so I so so that must have been the lowest point um, mm. and you know I had to take the makeup exams and so on and yeah. So I think it's a big club of people that failed that macro prelim. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Across in the history of prelims, I, I barely passed mine, but I, I, uh, I thought that was a brutal, a brutal exam. Yeah. If you're not a macro yeah. economist, it's, uh, it's I, our, my experience was, this is hard. Yeah. yeah. But there, yeah, there are a lot of, uh, <laughs> so I don't I don't like remembering it but I think that <laughs> yeah. that's right yeah I don't like remembering either um well so what is um I'm curious now also Dickens says in that thing it was the age of wisdom it was the age of foolishness foolishness and I'm kind of curious do you think that there were periods of wisdom and periods of foolishness within econometrics now that you're older that you sort of look out what you've seen over your life do you think there was periods of time where it was like this really was a period of wisdom and then you look back and you're like this really did not work out either in your own career or just broadly well i i think um there are a lot of um not a lot but there are some research areas where i think um it didn't pan out that that much like unit root thing right mm -hmm. and were, um uh, i was it was a huge research area that and um and and technically we learned a lot of different things and um uh, but it, that area didn't really pan out i guess um mm. relatively speaking and and um, and the semi-parametric areas, I think, is is I thought it would pan out much more than how currently. I mean, gradually people are using um, non-parametric and semi-parametric methods mm -hmm. one way or the other, but it hasn't. It hasn't. Um, pan out the way I would have thought that that is um, and so um, what do you think that is I think it's, it's lack of uh, good programs and data is, is one thing <laughs> yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and um, but but some things are more serious I think that yeah. that, that um, uh, it, you know that I think we haven't found some coherent ways of completing the methods in a way that satisfies a lot of applied people, you know, like mm. smoothing parameter choices is left unspecified. And so in some sense, we have a set of methods, but not the method that, that right. people can use. Right. And so it's not really well specified yet. Right. You know, so there, there is some, but, Technically, it's very detailed analysis. The, um, 
um, have to be done and, and that part hasn't been completed in, in a satisfactory way that, mm. that mm. I think a lot of um, you know people who are contemplating using it don't feel comfortable yet you know so I think there is yeah. some critical developments that yeah. yeah need to be done but not somehow I think uh, editors of the journals don't really think that that's that's the gap that that um, is needed and so there aren't very many you know papers that are oh. uh, you know people have to accept that that's the developed direction that right developments have to be carried out yeah right right and, and I don't think there is an agreement there there mm. and so mm. for some people uh, this is a minor details that that um, and for some you know for I don't know how users feel you know um, uh, users of the method if that's the part that needs to be filled in or not is, is something that I I think I, I need to understand mm. Mm. Yeah. well so when did you find yourself gravitating towards econometrics was it at mit or was it at was it even earlier with that really positive experience at osaka did when, when did you say you know i really think this is what i want to do oh okay um i i was more interested in like uh theory uh in my uh first year and uh so i took a general equilibrium uh, course from uh, Tim Kehoe uh, when he was an assistant professor at MIT. Mm -hmm. And but in the second year, so my family knows Takeshi Amemiya at Stanford. Um, so he, when he was a student, he, my, my, my father visited Berkeley when I was uh, six. Um, and so I was, you know, I was at Berkeley and he was, he was a just appointed to Stanford or something at the time, mm. and but he, he and um, our family um, made a trip to Yosemite or something. So we we, I, I knew him from long time ago. So I when I the second year, um, I visited Stanford over summer, and um, I and that's when he was writing his textbook. So I read his um, textbooks draft um, in like 1984 or something. And, and um, you know, the timing was just right because that's when I finished my core exams and uh, took econometrics and theory as my fields. Mm. And so I had enough background to understand to read his his manuscript very quickly and and um over one summer i i read the whole thing and yeah. and so and i really learned a lot and um felt very confident and and i enjoyed it and so much that i thought that i i could do something about that area yeah and and so that's that's when i decided to work on that uh, on econometrics and i 
I was there to attend IMSSS uh, seminars, and so I was doing that at the same time. But but I really gravitated toward econometrics mm. over that summer. After that summer with Amimia. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, you end up publishing. Was that your job market paper? That ninety one Journal of Econometrics. With no, no, actually, uh, my single index paper, 93 paper, is, is my job market paper. Where was that published? Journal of Econometrics. Journal of Econometrics. Yeah. And uh, so, so what, it, what was it like um, working with Hausman and Nui as a young man? How would you describe, you know, to, to me, who's never met either one of them, uh, what, what was their kind of interaction with you and what, what did you sort of notice in them well i didn't i didn't work with them actually um you know i i gave my notes to jim and and i think the rest they worked out i mean so i didn't i didn't um participate i mean i was a, just a student right i mean so mm -hmm. um so I was working on my thesis and uh, that, that after the note, I mean, they, they were very generous, you know, they wrote everything up and, and mm. they, uh, but then I didn't interact with them um, on, on uh, writing the paper part. Um, mm. So. Well, so when, when did you get so interested? When did you get interested in this program evaluation stuff, this well, ma matching and uh, difference in differences? Uh, that, that's uh, when, so I visited Chicago when I was a third year uh, assistant professor at, at Minnesota. I got a call from uh, uh, Rose, Sherwin Rosen uh, mm. at Chicago, and uh, he invited me to visit the department um, and and I guess they needed somebody to teach econometrics or something because people were on leave or something and and I think I ended up uh, visiting them for three years and mm -hmm. uh, Jim was working on program evaluation problem. So what was this? This is like 93, 95? 90, yes, 93 to 5, I think and, and that's um, when I learned about this program evaluation problem, and then um, what was the problem for the for the listener? You learned about the problem. What was that? Oh, that that you you know you want to evaluate uh, a program. In order to evaluate the program, you want to see the outcome with and without the program. Mm -hmm. But people end up participating or not participating. So. Uh, you only see outcome with or without the program, so not both. So you can't look at the difference of right. the two outcomes. You only get to see for each person either with or without outcome, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can't you can't evaluate um, for the single person. You know, you can't evaluate the program because you can't take the difference. Yeah. You know, take the difference, you need to see the both sides, but you only see get to see one one side for each right. person. So right. So, so that the so the, the this this causal the fundamental problem of causal inference type of problem. Right. Where you don't have so the you, counterfactual. Yeah. So that's the 
um, that's right, exactly. And that's you know, that's the simplest kind of causal uh, problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was that new when you saw that when at Chicago that 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 was like uh, something that was new to you? Were you impressed by all that work? Yes. Yes. Huh. I mean that, that I you know uh, if once you're told that that's the problem, uh, I mean that. But you know, I never thought about it that way. And mm. so um, I felt that, you know, many things became very clear about, you know, like when people talk about correlation and causality are different and so on. But, but after, after thinking about that problem, it became pretty clear to me what that means and so on. So, so, so is, is Dr. Heckman working on matching when you're going there? What's he working yes. on? That he's he's working on matching. He was working on matching. Yes. Not propensity scores, more something. Uh, no, no, propensity score matching. He's working on propensity score matching. Right, right, matching and the propensity score matching both at the same time. Okay, and so what did you start immediately working on with him? So this was like while you're doing the teaching, you and him start right. kind of collaborating a little bit. Right, right, and and so at the time there were a lot of. Um, uh, good students at Chicago, like Chris Staber and Petra Todd and Jeff. Um, uh, Jeff was there too, and so um, uh, all of all of them are Jim Heckman students. Yeah, right. <laughs> Concurrently, almost, and and, uh, <laughs> and there were other students too. They're they're very good too. Um, um, but, uh, so you're like a I third year. You're like a third year assistant professor, and you're really impressed with like Petra Todd and and Jeff Smith. Yes, they're like they were, students. They were, they were very good students. They were very yes. good students. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And um, yeah. So so it was a fun time. <laughs> yeah. You know it's yeah. funny. You've got this 1997 paper in uh -huh. uh, restud and then you've got a 1998 uh -huh. paper in restud uh -huh. and they have the uh -huh. same title <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, so, I, yeah, and I, I like have stared it, at the title it, and i'm like i must be right. missing something this uh -huh. is the exact same title <laughs> how did that happen yeah, no, I, well i mean it's it's it i think the paper became too long in some too sense. long uh-huh and so we split the application, the you know, the empirical finding part and the methodological part uh, separately, mm. and and more about you know what we found in JTPA context is is one paper, and um, more about method is an, is in another paper. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah. So and and we have econometrica paper that is also uh, related, and that's that's more about um, kind of you know how to characterize the bias. Uh huh. You know that uh, associated that with the matching. How, how to, right. Oh, right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, because if you have experimental data, mm -hmm. you can. Um, you can characterize the bias, right? Selection bias. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's in the econometrical paper. Oh, interesting. 
you know, that reminds me of that Abadie and Imbens paper uh -huh. uh, where they their matching paper where they also characterized the selection bias with matching. Was that yeah, similar? Did, that was similar, similar to, idea. Oh, it was yeah. a similar idea. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the um the 97 restud uh and mm -hmm. and i'm just curious i had never seen this before and i guess this is a uh related to the unconfoundedness assumption where mm -hmm. um you know if the treatment is conditionally random then you can use the control group to impute the y0 potential outcome and then mm -hmm. you you can you can estimate that potential outcome using just mm -hmm. the control group and then you can do the same for the treatment group. And, yeah. you know, Abity and Embens do that with their matching framework. But you sort of do that in that diff and diff framework with the, um, yeah. with that's not really based on conditional randomization. It's based on a parallel trends type assumption. Is that right? right. That's right. Yeah. So how did you, how I'd never seen anybody do that kind of, well, I mean, I, you know, I obviously wasn't in 97 doing stuff, but like I, as I've kind of like tried to go backwards and figure mm -hmm. out this whole imputing, looking at a relationship in one group and then knowing that that would therefore allow you in the other group. Mm -hmm. How did that idea come about to you guys? That kind of outcome regression, use the control group and then impute the treatment group Y zero. I think it's kind of a match, you know, if you think about where difference and difference idea yeah. comes from in a non metric sense i think it's a very natural idea to yeah so because it's that parallel trends assumption right right, right. It, you know if you if you think about what the parallel trend is in a non-parametric sense it will be like that right so yeah was that your idea who's who how did that idea come about i think it's jim's idea actually jim had the idea yeah yeah how, was is that is that kind of a thing that's really common in econometrics? Like you'll, you know, it's not like original to that 97. You got, you guys, that's like a trick that's done every now and then. No, I, I think, I think that, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jim is really uh, good in abstracting the core idea. Um, and that's where I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the a very nice idea that Jim had, I think. Um, yeah. That idea is getting new life right now with these new oh, yeah. papers. <laughs> no, I noticed, yeah. You've yeah. noticed that with this yeah. Orsock uh, et al. paper. Uh, that's what yeah. they do. And, you know, this paper of yours is getting new life again with the doubly robust uh, paper by Pedro Santana and Zhao, as well as this Callaway and Santana paper, uh -huh. they both in their R code specify that you can use the, uh, your, um, your outcome regression approach. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really, it's really neat. So I've been like studying it a lot more uh, uh -huh. than ever. And all these little bitty details like that have just kind of been uh -huh. so intriguing. Um, so did that, that, um, um, I also thought it was interesting. I have here your 97 article suggests mm -hmm. that diff and diff may be a better candidate than matching, but for mm -hmm. reasons that are not often widely appreciated, specifically overcoming questionnaire bias and different site locations. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? Do you remember hearing, remember that in the paper? I know it's a long time ago, but 
where that where I guess you guys sort of recommend it over matching because there must be some sort of questionnaire bias and site location problem that kind of creates a lot of selection problems with matching. And you guys came to the conclusion that Diff and Diff doesn't suffer from that. Well, I mean, I think it's there. There are two different issues that that I think that. Um, you know, questionnaire questions and labor market, you know, matching on the labor market, mm-hmm. you know, um, is separate from the diff and diff idea. Right. You know, the matching work, matching is method, but then the, the part that I think what we wanted to emphasize in the paper is that a method alone is not good enough you know the matching is a method but then you you need a quality data to implement it and the quality in this case is the fact you know you're you're using two different data sets Mm -hmm. right one one collected for the treated group and the other one uh, is is collected for untreated group Mm-hmm. Right, an untreated group is typically uh, collected from like survey data. Right, and treated group because the treated group is very special group. Yeah, you have to have some, uh, you know, a survey mm-hmm. that right. is typically uh, carried out in experimental context. Right, and so 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 and oftentimes these data are coming from different questionnaires yeah so they're asking the, the they're asking the questions different they've got yeah exactly uh, different measurement yeah. issues yeah exactly so and then also that that um these people are collected at different labor market potentially because they're coming from different data source and uh one part that, that we wanted to really emphasize is that if we use this, the data that come from the same questionnaire and, and if we can match people on, uh, on, in the same labor market, yeah. that is very much more effective uh, matching than the matching based on different questionnaires and, and uh, the data set where you, you have no locational information that allows you to match. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and so that's, um, that's the one point. And then that difference in difference, um, you know, the, is, is more convincing assumption than the assumption on right. you know, levels and the matching assumptions on, on the levels. Yeah. Because there you can difference out kind of common feature yeah. right, that, right. that doesn't vary over two periods. So that, mm. that has additional security, I think. That, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there are two combination of these two things, I think, allow yeah, yeah. make make the difference in difference approach more kind of yeah. reliable. Well, it's, I mean, I, 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 don't, I haven't like, you know, the citations of it are just gigantic, your entire, yeah. <laughs> there's, it's such a, a well, widely cited paper, but uh-huh. I'm just noticing, the, at least in the applied community, I think a group of people that didn't know the paper are studying it really closely because it's, uh, 
you know, because these flaws with the with the traditional fixed effects model in mm-hmm. the differential timing scenario are becoming a lot more mm-hmm. salient. Uh, mm-hmm. Your your paper is turns out to have had a lot of relevance, uh, mm-hmm. particularly for because of the um, way that you handled the covariates, you know, with mm-hmm. the baseline covariates. Oh yeah, no, I think that the idea of of you know um, Rosenbaum and Rubens. Uh, uh, summarizing propensity score, u- using propensity score to summarize regressors. You know, I think that's a very important idea that that uh, that are findings. You know, different incarnations in the uh, IV uh, literature as well. Yeah. And I think that would be very important uh, area because we don't really have a good ways uh, to summarize regressors you know, conditioning variables yeah. in the IV, you know, uh, mm. late idea is great idea, um, but then in some applications, we need a lot of conditioning variables to justify conditional independence assumptions of IV. Right. And how to incorporate, you know, conditioning variables in that context is, is not settled, I don't think. Yeah. And um, that's something I think um, we need to think hard about and and this recent literature in difference and difference uh, approach is 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 very important in 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 that um, they're they're trying to match on the timing of yeah. the treatment right and right. the importance of repeated treatments and so on so that's oh, been, yeah yeah um, pointed out and so on but that that's still in a very linear framework, right? You know, and I think that that has to, um, you know, change. And yeah, because that's a very strong assumption. Right? That's the a very strong assumption. Yeah, re- re- yeah. Regressors being used in that context is right. Specific, yeah, I hadn't really so, thought about differential time. These solutions to the differential timing being matching on the timing, but that's exactly what they're doing. They Right. You know, they kind of break it down into these little blocks yeah. and then add up. Yeah, I hadn't really right. thought about that. Yeah. Right. But, but I think that literature is related with, you know, would be more, um, yeah, would be made more in line with these matching idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you had, you had published on instrumental variables and uh, then in, you know, 94, that late paper gets published. Were you sort of like, was that paper kind of like in your life a little bit? Or, you know, because you're at MIT. Well, you're, when do you graduate from MIT? Early 90s? Uh, 80, 88. 88. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you're at Minnesota, but, right. but, um, but you're in this treatment effects world and you'd worked on IV. What was your reaction to that late paper back then? No, I, I thought that was a great idea. I didn't, I wasn't thinking um, that idea, but I, there, there were some, you know, precursors to that idea, I, I guess, uh, like Brown, Char- Charles Brown um, at Michigan. Um, really? Uh, yeah, had, he had discussed that type of um, things. And so, so it wasn't, you know, I mean, new, new, but it, uh, they, they did a, very good job in kind of isolating the core core charlie brown was talking about he was kind of talking about this conceptually iv sort of 
having these complier groups and stuff. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. No, he had, he's a he's a really interesting guy. I've been wanting to interview him. Uh, that yeah, no. that's interesting. You, yeah, you might want to ask him. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'll ask him about it. Yeah, I'll ask him about yeah. it. Um, no, I I really like him. Yeah. Well, so um, I have just a couple more questions. I know I've had you for a long time, but you know, I wrote here. Um, uh, being an economist is beautiful and it's hard and it's kind of confounded by being a human, which is both beautiful and hard. And, um, uh, sometimes it's beautiful and hard in very specific ways for different people at different points in their lives. So I was curious, what have you found to be most beautiful and most hard about being an economist and an econometrician more specifically? What is, what, what's the most beautiful parts about it? And what do you think are the harder parts about it? Well, beautiful part, I don't know whether it's, it's specific to, um, you know, econometricians or uh, economists, but, it, but I think it's discovery part is the beautiful part that, you know, whenever you find something that, that clicks to you, you know, I think that's, I feel that, that those findings, I mean, like, are beautiful. Uh, mm. that, that, so that so feeling, that feeling is, is not very good. Yeah. And, and um, it's a rush. So, it, it's, it's, uh, I, yeah. com I completely yeah, no, agree. Just, it, once just, it bites yeah. you one time, it, it's hard yeah. not to want to keep yeah, doing it. Things click and yeah, exactly. It's, but then, um, you know, I think it's um, when you see some things don't, um, you know, it's, it, it's when I lose some people, <laughs> you know, mm. when I, uh, I, it doesn't happen that often, but it, it, it sometimes happens that, that I, you know, lose persons, you know, I'm mm. dressed or something. You lose them? You mean they pass away? No, 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 not in that. Well, that, that too, but, but that, that, yeah, but, but in, in a more, um, interest sense, oh. you know, when I, when I don't, when, when I find some person's interest just drift away you know right that, and i feel kind of responsible <laughs> that, right uh, right uh, about that. and and so oh that's that's that that's interesting that's interesting yeah right right the social part the the beauty comes yeah. from the discovery and then the social part of your your colleagues kind of s seeing the value of it it can it can it's its own challenge right i mean as a student or colleagues or you know anybody around you that right. uh, you try to explain but not don't succeed yeah yeah well i once asked susan athey a question and i said uh -huh. like uh what's your favorite paper and she said uh -huh. that's too hard of a question because nobody <laughs> nobody can Nobody can think in superlatives, she said. So you're supposed to say, what's a paper you like? <laughs> so, so here's, I'm going to change the question. 
What's an <laughs> article or a book in economics or econometrics that, you know, here you are at this point in your career that every now and then you think about it enough that you think this article, this book appears to be, has made, you know, this, this article, this book appears to kind of live in my mind for free now. I didn't, you know, it, it, it's something that has apparently mental has affected me. Uh-huh. Um, okay. I don't remember the author, but I, I do remember it's about, it's about the paper in the, it's, it's, I think it was a, it was a paper in Econometrica, but it was talking about um, uh, kind of you know, length biased sampling issue. Mm. So, and, and that it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't kind of theoretically tight paper or anything, but it was, describing the problem in a very coherent and, and uh, robust way that, that I felt that I wanted to write a paper like this, that, that it was addressing a you know, real important point, I thought, and, and that it was, it was um, I, I wish I can remember the author and the paper title, but I, you think uh, about it. Every, I can. I can send you. I, yeah. I. I. You know. I, that's. That's my favorite paper, actually. I is it really? That. <laughs> yeah. That I. And, and and yet I don't remember the. <laughs> but I, yeah. No. I. I'll. I'll send you the. Yeah. I'll send me that. Send me I'll that. Send you the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll add that to the thing. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um. Last question, and then we're gonna go. Uh-huh. Uh, what is it that you are most hopeful and most excited about in econometrics as you look forward, you know, sort of like what you sort of, as you look forward, what, what excites you the most right now? Right now I'm working on a problem that, um, uh, you know, we, so a group of us are creating in Japan a panel data out of a Japanese census. Mm. Uh, from 1980 to 2020, mm. and um, and uh, we succeeded in connecting about 80 million observations. Oh my goodness! Um, about about 80 percent of the Japanese population wow. from 95 to 2000 to 2005. You know, three census years, and and I so and. 80 percent we if we don't if people don't move we can match very well yeah and and if if people move um we it's less likely to match ah. so we but but then we we can match many to many you know so right. so so in the quasi sense we have a panel data yeah and and so the question is how do we use this created data to do panel analysis in some sense using yeah. this partly complete panel but but partly quasi panel yeah and so so we're thinking about how to do this analysis and and, and i i really want to to look at like from 1980 to 2020 40 year panel of of, of uh, 100 
you know, hundred million observations. Oh my goodness! How long did it take you to? How long is it taking you to do the 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 nineteen eighty to two thousand and twenty? Uh, I don't know. I, I think you know the. It depends on the governmental uh, permission. I mean, yeah. we we we're we're dig, we're digitizing this um, data that allows us to match you know further back and up to nineteen eighty, and so that it, it takes some time. But but I mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we can do this in a few years. And, wow, wow. Um, what are you? What what's going to be the first project you're going to use that for? Do you have, do you have some well, plans? I, mean, I think, yes. I mean, right now we're using cross-section aspect to, to look at, you know, women's uh, labor force um, participation when they had additional child through twins. You know? So, oh. so with, with this much data, you can do the twinning. It's non-trivial. Yeah. 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 Right. Many, many twin studies. In that's right. Cause you localities that, that yeah, are that's right. You're powered to do a twin study. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so we can, we can do many twin studies in different locations to oh, examine what's the child burden on labor supply. You know? oh. And that's wonderful. Uh, that's <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, it, it's been such a pleasure to get to talk to you. I really appreciate it. This has been so much no, fun. Thank you. It's been so yeah. much fun. Uh, yeah, well, I fun. wish you the best on that project. I, I look forward to seeing the, the, the new twin <laughs> study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <I hope>. yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you very much, Scott. Bye.